manifested, and we have seen it, and bear witness and show unto you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested unto us. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you, that ye also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things write we unto you, that your joy may be full. This then is the message which we have heard of him, and declare unto you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we, if we say we have fellowship with him, and walk in darkness, we lie, and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord God, sure thankful for tonight. God, I can't imagine a better place to start a new year than to be in your house. So, Lord, I pray that you'd get the glory and honor from tonight. I pray that you bless these words, uh, God, that are spoken tonight, Lord, that they'd be from you. God, people don't need to hear from me. And so, Father, I pray that once again you'd put me behind the cross, that you would be lifted up and glorified this morning or tonight. And just thankful and praise you, God, for who you are. And pray these things in your name. Amen. You may be seated. So, on the theme of having two titles. Just going to keep rolling with it. Keep rolling with it. Um, the first title for this message is Generational Health. Generational Health. That's probably the one you should use, Brother Scott. Because the next one, I just wanted to show the kids that I'm hip. And it's, it's hashtag 2024 goals. I don't know when hashtag, that's a pound sign, by the way. I I don't know when it changed, but it did. It's a pound sign. I'm going to start putting hashtag, bring back the pound sign. <laughs> but somewhere along the line, it changed. But today, I mean, we often, especially this time of year, we think about goals. They've been mentioned. And so we're going to talk about some goals tonight, but, but we're also going to talk about generational health. I got saved when I was eight years old. I mentioned that this morning. Uh, I didn't get into church till I was 16 years old. I've told you all that before. My grandma tricked me into going to church, said my grandpa needed someone to sit with him in the services. He was a grown man. He was just fine. He was absolutely fine. So grandma tricked me into going to church, and when I was 16, sitting in the services for the first time, um, not for the first time, but for the first time, I listened. And like Brother Fio, I was saying, things started adding up, and truth made sense. And, and I gave it my attention and, and haven't looked back since. But at 16, I, I was still a babe in Christ. I got saved when I was 8. At 16, I was still a baby Christian. And, and still a lot to figure out and work through. And as a baby, you do. There's still a lot to figure out and work through. Now, I wasn't necessarily a first-generation Christian. How many of y'all know what I mean by first-generation Christian? The first one in the family to get saved. I wasn't that. My grandma was saved. She led me to the Lord. My mama was saved, or is saved. Um, hopefully she hasn't lost it, <laughs> so, sorry, mama. Uh, my mama's saved, 
So I wasn't a first-generation Christian, but I didn't grow up in church. And so I went through a lot of the same struggles that first-generation Christians have to go through. And those things are dealing with a lot of the things that I've let into my life up to that point. And one of those things was, was getting rid of my music. So I, I grew up in, in, in Meridian, and at that time it was a small town. Uh, we didn't have in and out There was no in and out There was no hour and a half long lines. Uh, traffic was not a word we used. Um, it, it was a small town. We slept with our doors open. Open. Wide open. So, like some of your eyes looking at me right now. Wide open. We had, that's how it was. But it was a small town. I, I was uh, a kid uh, with a bowl cut and corduroy jeans, and I was listening to some, or corduroy pants, and listening to uh, uh, some pretty, uh, real rap. <laughs> and, and, and just thinking, this is me. This is my life. This is what I am. Thought I was pre pretty cool stuff. But that's what it was. So when I got saved, uh, immediately the Lord started changing things in my life. But when I was 16, I started getting into church and listening to the truth of the word of God. And, and, and when, when you're in the, in the word of God and you're in, in the Bible, you start to feed that new man, that Holy Spirit that's inside of you. And things start to change. And rightfully so. And so I got convicted of what I was listening to because it's something I knew I shouldn't have. And so right around that time, about 16 years old, uh, my cousin, who, who was a tremendous help in my life, my cousin Jared, he, he had a, a kind of a ritual that, that he had done with other people that he'd done with himself. Um, and, and basically what he had done with other people was about to do with me is there was a, a hole in the ground out by the airport because there was nothing out there back then. It was middle of nowhere. Uh, hole in the ground, it was a pipe. And if, if you go to that pipe and you look down there, you would see way down deep is a bunch of water and there was just old CDs and music and stuff that he had tossed down there. And he had brought some other people that, that knew, hey, I, I need to get rid of this in my life. It's not good for me. And so that was the ritual. So he grabs me and I grab my whole thing full of CDs. CDs are things, you, you put them in a... It's a CD player. You put the lid down. You can. They used to have portable ones. They used to have portable ones, and and you used to try to jog with those things, and and they'd skip. Like it, 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 you guys, I can't even explain it to you guys. You get Walkman, something like that, but a CD player. Yeah, you still don't know. But a CD, and wait, I had a whole binder full of them. I mean a hundred or more of just CDs. And the, the ritual was you could listen to any song you wanted to and put those CDs on the way out to the middle of nowhere airport. So we listened to some of the music and I got to listen to it for the last time and then we get out there and start throwing all that stuff down there. And that was good for me. That was good for me. Getting rid of the music was a big thing for me. And so... The problem was it's called littering. It's technically, that's, that, that's the other side of it. Technically, that's called littering. And I'm pretty sure, because now that's all developed over there, that someone has dug that up. And there's just a treasure trove of, of CDs and all kinds of stuff down there. 
So it, it's just, it's just, it's littering is what it is. But when I took that out, I needed to replace it with something. And so as a baby Christian, I'm trying to figure out what's good for me, what's not good for me. I'm on fire for the Lord, and, and I'm trying to figure this stuff out. And as a baby Christian, you, you are. You're trying to figure those things out. And you're figuring out, especially as a first-generation Christian, where you're going to draw your lines. And I'm trying to figure those things out. And so my cousin, he was listening to somebody on, on his CD player, and it was an evangelist that would come through, and his name was Mark Rogers. And he sang, and he had a bunch of CDs, and so I knew, hey, this is good stuff. This is good for me. But I, that's all I knew was good for me, so that's all I listened to for like 10 years. And so, like, that's it. All the time, that's it. But if you think about where I was, I looked at the people who sang those songs as someone to be idolized. And so with Mark Rogers, hey, I listen to him every day. I, I, I'm thinking he's up here on a pedestal. And so that same cousin, well, first of all, Mark Rogers came and was preaching at our church. And my cousin, who... He bought me a tarantula. It was a joke. I was scared to death of the thing. Absolutely scared to death of the thing. Sleeping in the same room as a tarantula is not fun. It's just not. If, it is, if you think it is, you're weird. It's just it's the way it is. So I kept a, have you guys ever seen a, a Webster's 1828 dictionary? They're about that big. That stayed on the top of the cage. Okay? You guys ever seen a Strong's Concordance? They're about that big. That stayed on top of that. Okay? But I named that tarantula Mark Rogers. <laughs> and then as a baby Christian growing up, you ever have those times in your life where you look back and you're like, man, I wish I wouldn't have done that. I wish I wouldn't have done that. So Mark Rogers comes to visit. And I'm looking at him like this guy that, that, that I could idolize. And so I, I meet him and I shake his hand and tell him what a blessing his music is in my life. But... I wanted to say that, but all I could say is, I named my tarantula after you. <laughs> and I can still see his face. Because it was, oh. Okay. <laughs> it's the same face I give to Brother Fiavi most of the time when he's up here talking. Oh. Okay. Still had a lot of things to work through, a lot of growing to do. Um, I remember in our youth group, I, there was a challenge in our youth group to bring our Bible to school every day. I went to public school in, in high school. So I started going to church when I was uh, into my freshman year, into my sophomore year. And that was one of, the, one of the, the things they had challenged us to do, to bring it for a month. I ended up just bringing it every day. And plopping it down on the desk, and it was, it was this big. This is actually a replica of that one. So I'd plop it down, and, and you get some looks, of course, bringing your Bible to school every day and every class and taking it with you. But I remember in high school, uh, still a baby Christian, and having one of my teachers ask me that, why do you bring your Bible to class every day? And, and all I could really muster to say was, was this Bible is the Word of God, and it's, it's done a lot for me. And... I like it close to me. I want to identify with it, basically, and be a witness. 
and she, the teacher had pulled me out of class to talk about it. And her response was, well, I think this is a pretty godly place. And in my head, I'm going, that kid just throat punched that kid. <laughs> so I remember being in another class and sitting there in, in, in an English class, still a baby Christian. And as a baby Christian, you don't have all the answers. You just don't. Um, once, once there's pastor attached to your name, you know everything, just so you know. I'm, I'm there, <laughs> arrived. That's not the truth. But in this case, that we were learning about the Great Awakening. And, and it's sinners in the hands of an angry God, and it was Jonathan Edwards who preached that. And, and during that Great Awakening, that sinners in the hand of an angry God, she made this statement, because whenever a teacher's teaching a class, they get opinions, and, and that's how it goes. But she said, I, I don't understand, in front of the whole class, I don't understand how you can love someone and fear them at the same time. And in my head, as a baby Christian, I knew there was an answer to that. I knew I loved God and feared God. I knew there was an answer to that, but I couldn't put the words into it. There, there was just a lot of growing that I needed to do. But that kind of struck a, 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 a chord in me, especially on that, on that term of revivals. And there, there's been some pretty great revivals in our country's history and in other countries' histories. Uh, there's a book out there called I Saw the Welsh Revival. And it talks about uh, Evan Roberts. There was a revival in, in Wales. And it started with a man named Evan Roberts. And, and to, to read about those kind of revivals, there was, if you went to one of those towns where one of those revivals were, you were probably not going to be within standing dif distance to hear the actual preaching. What happened, though, is the singing and the praising God reached back through the crowds. That, that's how big they got. What's amazing is Evan Roberts used to work in some of the mines uh, before he became a, a preacher. And he worked in some of the mines and was around some of these men. But there was actually such widespread revival, especially even through those mines that he used to work in, that it's said that the donkeys, the donkeys that used to transport all the stuff for them and go down into the mines and come back out, they didn't know what to do. They were basically useless because the language the men used to talk to the donkeys before, they didn't use anymore. Now, revival, it's not about not using bad language, but revival does cause, cause change. And there is need for revival. There's need for revival in our country. There's need for revival in our church. There's need for revival in our lives. And that can come in many different ways. But that brings us to 1 John chapter 1. Now, 1 John, or, yeah, 1 John chapter 1, it was, it was written by the Apostle John, from what we can tell. Uh, same John, James and John, the, the sons of Zebedee, the sons of Thunder, which is the name I've given to our men's group. Um, they haven't adopted it yet, but I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep going with it. Um, and this Apostle is, is the same John, the Apostle whom Jesus loved. And John wrote these epistles, the best that we can tell, between 85 and 95 A.D. Now, our calendar that we're about to change the year over, that's based on something. It's based, based on the birth of our Savior. 
which is pretty amazing, to be honest with you. But if you look at the birth of our Savior, and it's 85 to 95 A.D., that would make him roughly that age, 85 to 95 years old. That's pretty old. That's pretty old. Um, we don't know exactly when it was written, um, but everything we can tell, 85 to 95 A.D., it was probably written from Ephesus and sent to the churches at Asia Minor because John himself was sent later from Ephesus to Rome where it's affirmed that he was cast into a boiling pot of oil. Uh, he escaped, though, without any harm. Um, Domitian banished him to the Isle of Patmos where he ended up writing the book of Revelation. And from what we can tell, Revelation was written right around, right around that 96 A.D., from what we can tell. So after this. Lived to be roughly 100 years old. 90 to 110, some say. But when John wrote these epistles, he would have been writing, and I want you to think about this, he would have been writing to third-generation Christians. So John himself, if you look in verse 1, he is telling people, I was with him. I saw him. I held him. I heard him speak from his mouth. And then think about that next generation after him that would have never seen Jesus. And then he's, he's talking now to third-generation Christians. Third-generation Christians. Now, there's a tendency, just historically, for some kind of revival by the time that third generation hits. And this isn't always the case, but it's the case often enough. First-generation Christians. First-generation Christians were motivated by strong conviction, and rightfully so. First-generation Christians are motivated by strong conviction. They will dare all and die for them. The first-generation Christians were, were lost in their sin, of course, but they saw firsthand the pain and the hurt and the problems that it caused in their life, and they still bear it today. And strong lines are drawn, usually, in, the, in their lives because they know all too well the tendency of leisurely and loose living. And their lines are usually pretty tight. They're precise. And with good reasoning behind them. They saw the hurt. They still bear the scars of that hurt. They're drawing the lines pretty tight. And, and honestly, I don't like the culture that's in churches today that bash the lines that were drawn by a previous generation. Because in all honesty, we'll, we'll get to some other lines here in a moment, but, but that first generation, especially if you were raised by first generation Christians, they, they bore things that you never had to. They went through things that you never have to. And they tried in their own way to protect you from ever having to go through what they went through. And that's a lot of times why those lines are so tight. But it was real to them. It was real to them, just like John is talking about in verse 1 and 2. Look at verse 1. That which was from the beginning. We have heard it. We have seen it with our eyes. We have looked upon it. Our hands have handled of the word of life. We're close to it. It's real to them. If, if, if you look in verse 1 and 2, you see John, and John's basically saying, I was there. He saw Jesus. He held Jesus. Think about this. John, it says in the book of John, he laid his head on Jesus' bosom. 
John heard the heartbeat of God. And what he's telling them here is, I was there. I know the truth. I've heard it from him. John can see the vast difference. First generation Christians can see the vast difference of what it was like without Christ and what it was like with him. And see the massive gulf in between. It was real to him. Second generation Christians inherit truth. And that's a good thing. That's a good thing. But that strong conviction of the previous generation, it starts to morph uh, from strong conviction down into belief. Also a good thing. It's a good thing. Your kids won't draw the exact same lines that you draw. And that can be good in a lot of areas because what it honestly can mean is that they don't have the exact same hang-ups that you had. Which is what you wanted when you drew your lines for them. That was the point. So they didn't have to go through some of the same stuff. So your kids, they're not going to draw the lines exactly where you drew them. And that doesn't mean that they're wrong because your lines are not necessarily where the lines are. You drew those lines because you knew you had a pitfall. And this led to that. And so I'm drawing the line here because I know what my tendency is. The problem comes is when the principle behind the conviction is not conveyed. I mean, have convictions. Stand by them. Stand by them for you, for your family, for the Lord. They're, they're good. But your kids, they, they will not agree with all of them either. Just heads up. Y'all are not going to agree with everything your parents says. My mom still says stuff I don't agree with. She says I'm good looking. I agree with that one, Mom. Yeah. But what they do need to know is why you have that conviction. They don't need to agree with it, but they need to know why you have it. They need to know what happened in your life. That stuff is supposed to be passed on. The second generation will debate and defend that belief that they have. But the fire and the passion of that first generation that saw the stark difference to life without Christ and life with Christ is either less or it's gone. And that is a problem. Now, by the time you reach a third generation, belief that the second generation had, it becomes more opinion. And that third generation, they either don't see or know the benefits, and it doesn't really hold any weight with them anyway. And they forgot or they never learned where their parents and grandparents came from. You can see that in the Old Testament a lot. I mean, we're going through the book of Judges on Sunday nights. You see it in every single cycle. You see God deliver them, and by just a little bit later of peace, they've already forgot. They've already forgot. And that can be failure on the parents' part. It can be failure on the grandparents' part. It can. can. We're not passing that stuff down. But it's, it's also a lack of response from the current generation. And the third generation can be apt to trade first-generation truth, dilute it, or change it, accept counterfeits, or make room for error. And we see that in verses 6 through 10. Now, it doesn't always fall into these molds, and it doesn't have to, number one. It doesn't have to. As a matter of fact, it shouldn't. But the second thing is, is it also doesn't take a generation or two 
to have this happen. It can happen all in your life. It can happen all in one generation where you can go from strong, strong conviction to belief to opinion. And so John here in, in chapter 1, he gives some reminders. And what we're going to say is goals. Bet you guys can't put together why I said goals. It's because it's a new year. And that's what we do is set goals. But honestly, in studying this out, these are the goals I want for this year. And there's three goals here. And we're going to go through them. And these goals and these reminders, they're, her- they're, they're to help not decline generational spiritual health. Generational spiritual health. Goals for 2024. What are my goals? Well, personally, the same they are every year. I got the, the same tag on my, my keychain, Brother Max. It's not to that, that gym, it's to a more expensive one. So I'm paying more than that. So goals are the same, personally. But in all honesty, if you're starting off a new year, and we can make a lot of goals, and we can make a lot of goals about ourselves and and things that we want to change in our lives. But what about what God wants for you? And, And we need to think about that this morning. So these are goals that John's talking about. I want you to look in verse 1 and 2, and we're going to read it one more time. The Bible says, that which we have heard from the beginning, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life. For, that, for the life was manifested, and we have seen it, and bear witness, and show unto you that eternal life which was with the Father, and was manifested unto us. Here, here's the first goal. Handle the word of God more. Handle the word of God more. Man, when you start a new year, Reading your Bible and having some sort of goal with that, that's pretty important. And, and whether you want it, we have Bible reading calendars out there. Whether you re- use a, a Bible reading calendar to keep you on track, I mean, do it. Have some kind of goal to get yourself in your Bible every single day. You ought to have a goal. We need to be in our Bible every single day. If you have a goal of reading, reading just something in the Bible every day. And I am not a calendar person. I am just not. Uh, there, there are certain things in there, and I may not read every single chapter that's on the calendar for that day. And then what happens to me personally is I don't mark those things off, and then I feel like I'm behind. And how, how much fun is it when you get so far behind that, guess what? All motivation is gone because you have so far to go. And some people can follow those calendars. There are those people. I'm not sure if I like you people because you all can stay on task, but... Whether you're there or not, have some kind of goal. Have some kind of goal. Just get in the Word of God. Maybe you just read until you hear something from Him. How about this? For every hour of TV you watch, you get 10 minutes of Bible reading time. Some of us are going to be Bible scholars by the end of this year if we do that. But John here in chapter 1, he's writing to Christians who never heard saw or touched Jesus firsthand. And it reminded me of, of, I want you to turn over to Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24. It reminded me 
in Luke chapter 24 when Jesus appeared to the eleven. And a little bit of background on this verse. Uh, the Marys go down to the tomb and, and they, they, they see the, the, uh, the tomb empty and, and are approached by the, the, the two men that were there. And then Peter, he runs down to the sepulcher and he's stooping down and he sees that the linen clothes are laid by themselves. And then him and another man, it was Cleopas, they go on a, a trip down to, uh, it says in verse 13, it's Emmaus. It was a village called Emmaus. And this man who, who comes, that the, they're heading down there, and someone comes along, and it's Jesus, but he made it so they couldn't tell it was him. And so he's talking with them, and they bring him in, and they, they tell him, hey, stay with us tonight. And once they break bread with him, he reveals who he is and vanishes away. And so we pick it up in, in verse 33. The Bible says, And they rose up that same hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven gathered together, and them that were with him, saying, The Lord is risen indeed, and hath appeared to Simon. And they told the things which were done in the way, and how that he was known of them in breaking of bread. And as they thus spake, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them, and saith unto them, Peace be unto you. But they were terrified and affrighted, and supposed that they had seen a spirit. And he said unto them, Why are ye troubled? And why do thoughts arise in your hearts? Behold, my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me, handle me, and see, for a spirit hath not the flesh and bones, as ye see me have. And then he goes even a step further and breaks bread and eats with them, because obviously a spirit's not going to be eating or drinking. But what he says to them is, handle me, touch me. You See, he's basically telling them, I'm just as real as I was before. I'm just as real as I was before. I love how John 1, 1 starts. He says, that which was from the beginning. That which was from the beginning. And what he's talking about here, he says, that which was from the beginning, which we've heard, which we've seen, he's talking about when, they, when, when Jesus was born, is what he's talking about. When he was born in that very manger that we, we just celebrated just a couple days ago. And he's talking about that very birth because that's when he was born, where his physical birth, where they saw him, they touched him, they, they listened to him speak. And then in verse 2, he tells them that, that even though Jesus was born in that manger, that's not where he began. That wasn't the beginning of our Savior. That was the, that was the birth of Jesus Christ in a physical form when word became flesh. But in verse 2, he says... Uh, and show unto you the eternal life which was with the Father. That's where he was before. And he was manifested unto us once he was born. And so John says this because what he was dealing with in that time was the Gnostics of the day. Not agnostics, but Gnostics. And the Gnostics of the day, they believed that Jesus was not God, but he became God. They believed he became God when he was baptized and the spirit came down like a dove. And so what John is telling them here is that's not the case. Yes, he was born there and that's when he came in contact with us. That's when we could physically see and touch and hear from him. But that's not where he began. And he was God long before he was born there. And you go back to, to his gospel, John chapter 1, 1. What does that say? In the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. Another good verse to learn. And, and that word became flesh, John eventually says, and dwelt among men. 
And so the word is Jesus Christ. And he's telling them this uh, to, to basically for the Gnostics of the day. But what he was telling them is, I'm just as real as I was before. Nothing changed there. Jesus only becomes less real to us when we stop handling him. He only becomes less real when we stop handling him. When we put down the word of God. Man, it's pretty amazing the word of God that we have. Once again, though, just like this morning, it's easy to take for granted the things that we know we're always going to have. Man, we can have it. We can see it. We can hear from Jesus Christ ourselves. We can hear from the God of the universe. You know what? We can hear the heartbeat of God. We can. And it's all right here in our hands. Because truth is hard to dilute. It's hard to change. It's hard to counterfeit when it's in your hands. The problem comes is when we start putting it down. Man, when that truth that we once held so dear, and we knew it, we saw it, we, we held it, we believed it, it now seems like, man, it, it can seem like it was a generation ago. Can't it? But it's all because we're not handling Jesus like we ought to. Man, goals are not a bad thing. Goals get a pretty bad rap nowadays. And you know why? Because we keep failing at them. That's why. But man, as a Christian, this has to be a goal. This has to be a goal. Read my Bible more. I want to handle the word of God more this year. I want to handle the word of God more. Secondly, Look in verse uh, 3 and 4. The Bible says, That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you that ye also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son Jesus Christ. And these things write we unto you that your joy may be full. Here's, here's my second goal this year. I want to spend more time with my church family. Spend more time with my church family. So John makes it clear in verse 1 and 2 that he's heard, he's seen, he's looked upon, he's handled that word of life personally. And he was declaring in verse 3 that they could have fellowship with each other and that their fellowship is truly with Christ. And that's why they can have fellowship with each other. Because they all have something quite in common. But John was dealing, like I said, with the Gnostics and the Nicolaitans of the day. And the Gnostics believed also that they had a superior knowledge. They, they believed they knew that Jesus became God. Knowledge was all about what, who they were. And they believed they had this superior knowledge and that it set them apart from everybody else. And they were causing a division in the church. And there was pockets of brethren who were being led astray. Led astray by people who believed that they knew more. And then not only that, one of the telltale signs of them is that they believed they knew so much that it set them apart. And they didn't want a fellowship with the people that were beneath them. So what John is telling them here is that you need to get back to the truth of the word of God. And that fellowship with the believers because you can fellowship with the believers. And come back and fellowship with us because our fellowship is truly with God. So when it comes to fellowship, here, here's a couple things. Number one, if you're not in, you need to get in. If you're not in, you need to get in. 
There's something that pastor says quite often, but you get out of this what you put into it. You will get out of your West Valley family what you put into it. You will get out of church what you put into it. Meaning that you, may not, you want a place to fellowship. You want that fellowship with other people. You want to feel like you belong. You want a place that's your own. Man, it's here. It is. You look on a Sunday morning and you look around, man, there's not very many seats. I promise you there's still room for you. We will get up and stand. There is room for you. But it starts with fellowship. It starts with fellowship. Man, it took me way too long to get in. It really did. It took me way too long to get in. I was waiting. Now, when we first came, it was Brother Hetzer's uh, last Wednesday night service. Brother Hetzer's last Wednesday night service. And he preached, and it was, he preached from one verse in the book of Proverbs. The whole service, one verse. It was amazing. It, it, me and Becca left just tears in our eyes saying, this is where we need to be. And then that thought came to our mind, but he's leaving. We missed it. We could have been here the whole time, and he's leaving. And we met Pastor Pyle, and he's not an intimidating dude. I, I, it, he, he's that tall, okay? <laughs> he's preaching right now, so he's not listening. Sometimes he, he, he'll, he'll wear those cardigan sweaters, and I'll come into the office sometime, and I'll look at him and go, look at you. Yeah. You're so cute, I'll put you in my pocket. He's this little guy. Until pastor gets up here and preaches and you go, okay, okay. Number one, God's with him. God's with him. I'm so thankful for him every single day. But it starts with fellowship. It took me way too long to get in. And I wanted to be here. I knew I needed to be here. I knew God wanted me here. But there was part of me that was just waiting for pastor to say something. Say something I couldn't agree with. Give me a reason why I can't be here. Give me a reason. Man, I was waiting for, for the church to fail me. I was waiting for others to fail like they failed before. Man, that can be the truth in so many people's lives. But we're not getting in because we are just waiting. Waiting for somebody to fail like they failed before. Because here's the deal. You stand on the outside long enough, you're going to stay there. You stand on the outside long enough, you're going to stay there. And number two, you cannot put the failures of others on everybody else. You want to stunt your growth, that's the best way to do it. Put everybody else's failures on, on, on other people. Fellowship, well, here's the second part. And sometimes we just got to get over ourselves. Sometimes we just got to get over ourselves. The bitterness from, from our wrongs. And I'm not saying that the wrongs weren't wrong, but they can cause you to miss out on the blessing of fellowship. And that's exactly what fellowship is, is a blessing. Brethren can fail you. As a matter of fact, brethren will fail you. They will fail you. Man, that, that's one of the things that, that I, I fear because I know. I know I will fail some of you in some way. I know it. I know it. Brethren will fail, but you're going to have to forgive. The Bible doesn't give you a choice. You're going to have to forgive. Bitterness, when we let that thing take root in our life, bitterness doesn't shoot straight like a rifle does. It scatters like a shotgun. 
Man, that thing moves, and it moves throughout. It, it, it spreads faster than COVID ever did. <laughs> Truly, it spreads. Look at 1 John uh, chapter 2, verse 9. Just one chapter over, page over, and then turn back. The Bible says, He that saith he is in the light and hateth his brother is in darkness even now. You can't walk with God and hold that stuff. You can't walk with God and hold that stuff. You say you, you're in the light, but you hate your brother. Truth's not in you. You can't walk with God and hold that stuff. You say you're a Christian, you walk with God, but you hate your brother, you're in the wrong. And the crazy thing is, is you've allowed the wrong that they did to you to be the wrong in your life now. That's all you've done. You've allowed the wrong that someone else did to you to become the wrong in your own life. There is a, fellowship is a blessing. And if you look in, uh, in verse 4, fellowship is joyful. Fellowship is joyful. Fellowship is a gift from God. It's pretty amazing how different we can be as Christians and still have fellowship with one another. It really is. Uh, uh, Brother Nate. Where's Brother Nate? Brother Nate. Brother Nate and I are not the same person. Brother Nate and I are not the same. When I talk to him, I'm pretty sure he sees musical notes coming out of my mouth because I'm pretty sure I've seen him watch them. He sees things. He is on a different plane than what I am. It, it, it's a fact. He's a couple levels above where I am. We are not the same dude, but we can have fellowship. We can have fellowship because we have something in common, and that's Jesus. Brother Z. There he is. Brother Z and I are not the same guy. I did patch for two weeks. <laughs> Number one, I'm still sore. <laughs> still tired. But Brother Z gets done, and he's still happy. He's still smiling. I have literally told Brother Z, I am 97% certain, 97% that you have some kind of superpower. 97, if you take, take and un, just unbutton these two buttons right here, Brother Z, and pull that open, there's an S under there. I am certain of it. Super Z. Super Z. Brother Robbie and I are different. He is nine feet taller than I am. <laughs> Look up to Brother Robbie in more than one way. He and I are very different, but we have a lot in common. It's Jesus. And Brother Max and I are different. I want to be Brother Max. But we are very, very different. We sure have a lot in common, though. It's Jesus. Fellowship with God's people is amazing. And it's a blessing. It's a blessing. But we can sure isolate ourselves. Isolate start listening to false teacher or let the doctrine of this world infect the truth that we once held so dear. We can also get pretty self-centered when it comes to fellowship. Man, we get a lot from fellowship, don't we? There's a lot that comes from fellowship. But it's not about what we get. It's about what you give. It's about what you put in. And when fellowship with God's people becomes, what am I getting out of this? That, that changes things. What it'll do is eventually isolate you. It'll isolate you. Say, so whenever you set a goal, there's got to be tangible things. 
tangible, attainable things that you can do to achieve that goal. If you're trying to lose weight, who would do that? But if you're trying to, there's got to be some tangible goals. There's got to be some things that you do that slowly cause change. So with something like reading our Bibles, it's maybe that's the first thing you do in the morning. And wake up, roll over, read your Bible. Just get something in. You, you think about something like spending more time with church family. How, how is that a tangible thing? What can you do? Man, have people over once a month. Have people over once a month. Hang out after service. Hang out after service. Brother Sharp, we'll be here. <laughs> they are the only people that I will flash the lights on. But it's a blessing. It's a blessing that everybody's not running away. Man, spend some time with each other. Hang out after service. Go get some food. Go get some breakfast. Man, I love the fact that our teens went to lunch today, the teen boys. Man, that's awesome. You don't ever, man, don't ever get, get annoyed with something like that. That is huge in the life of our teens. Those little things that, that, that the youth group does is such a big thing for our teens. That's such a blessing. When someone, and I, our church does a wonderful job at this. When Quinn had his surgery on his appendix, man, he got spoiled. Miss G. Young brought over some stuff. I think Miss Tina sent some stuff. Uh, Miss Megan, his Sunday school teacher, brought over some stuff. He's like, hey, I'll lose another appendix if I can do this. <laughs> no. That was pretty miserable, wasn't it, bud? Man, you hear somebody sick, go drop something off. You don't have to be a pain. Just go drop something off. And one of the kids in our church has surgery, is down for any length of time. Go bring them something. Do something like that. Our church is honestly very good at that. But here's the deal. You, you want fellowship? Get in. Get in. If you want to have fellowship with God's people, and we do need fellowship with God's people, but you've got to get in first for us to have fellowship with you. Get in. Man, some of us have spent this whole year, this whole year, one foot in, one foot out. One foot in, one foot out. Man, get in. Get in. Third thing, last thing. The last goal I got for this year is I want to be able to call out the sin that's in my life. Call out the sin that's in my life. Look at verse 6. We're going to read verse 6, 8, and 10. Verse 6, if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. Verse 8, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Verse 10, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his words are not in us. So what John deals with now is he deals with the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. And that's what we're seeing here. Uh, you'll, you'll see that if you look in Revelation chapter 2, verses 6 and 15. We talked about it a little bit this morning in Sunday school, but the do doctrine of the Nicolaitans in both of those spots, it said God hates that doctrine. God hates it. And their doctrine boiled down is basically this. I can be a Christian, 
and still live like the world. I can be a Christian and still live like the world. I can walk with the light and still have fellowship with darkness. And one of the things that's mentioned is, is fornication around that, that doctrine. And what they tend to do is basically make an excuse for sin. And we still do that. We still do that. We change sin to something else. It's sleeping around now. No, that's fornication. That is sin, is what it is. Stepped out on my marriage. No, that's adultery. That's what that is, and that's sin. Well, I didn't tell the truth. No, that, that's called a lie, and that's a sin. Man, we can get really good at excusing the sin in our life. He, he writes in verse 5, he said, This is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. There's no sin in him. And that light, it makes darkness scattered. Just like any light does. It reveals what's hidden in that darkness. It, it reveals the Lego that I'm about to step on. Most painful thing. There's a, there's a video going around. of It's a game that they play, but it, it was videoed in this one. And, and this family is playing this game, and there's a box, and the, you can't see what's inside the box. But you have to put your hand in there and try to figure out what it is, okay? So the dad of the family, he gets up there, and he puts his hand in this box that he cannot see. It is dark in that box. And he puts his hand in there and quickly goes, Pooh! he goes, it moved. It moved. It touched me. He reached it in. He goes, oh, Terry, it's moving. Ah! And he's, he's losing his mind and will not put his hand back in that box. It was a potato. <laughs> it was a potato. He looked pretty silly when the lights came on. And we can look pretty guilty when the lights come back on. Verse 6 says, if we say that we have fellowship with him, if we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie, and we do not the truth. We lie and do not the truth. If we say and even make ourselves believe that we have a relationship with God, but we walk boldly in our sin or make an excuse for sin, we lie. It's not the truth. So one of two things happens with sin in our lives, and it happens in verse 8 and verse 10. In verse 8, it says, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth isn't in us. It's basically saying, I'm not a sinner, and it's a denial of our sinful nature. And we make ourselves more self-righteous than we ought to be. And what we can start to believe is that because we are a certain tier, kind of like those Gnostics believed, that sin is beneath us. We can get pretty self-righteous. We can get pretty self-righteous and start thinking sin is beneath us. In verse 10 it says, if we say we have not sinned, 
we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So it's like saying I have not sinned and it's a denial of sinful actions. And so what we can have a tendency to do is make sin more palatable in our lives like the Nicolaitans did. I love verse 7. It's a good verse to memorize too. Just so you know, there's a lot of good verses. So I don't know what to memorize. Come on. There's, there's that deli meat that I was talking about this morning called bologna. There's a lot of good verses that we need to memorize. And one of the best ways to memorize them is through song. Brother Nate does it during BBS. It helps. I learned this verse through song. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we'll have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. Then it says, if we walk in the light. That part's not in there again. But it's good. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. Man, why is a goal like that important? Why is a goal like that important? To call out the sin that's in my life. It's because sin's a separator. We said that this morning. Sin's a separator. It separated Adam and Eve in the garden from God, didn't it? And it will separate our fellowship with him. It will separate our fellowship with him. But if we walk in that light as he is in that light, we can have fellowship with him. Verse number nine. Another one you need to memorize. Another one you need to memorize. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We get to go till midnight tonight, right? You guys don't have work tomorrow. You'll be fine. I'm just kidding. We're almost done. It's another verse to memorize. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And it goes from, I am, I am not a sinner, and I haven't sinned in verses 8 and 9, and it goes to, I am guilty. In verse 9, I am guilty. Acceptance of our arrogance and our sinful nature, and it's staying humble before God. So my goal this, this year is to call out sin in my life. To call out sin in my life. Say, what that, what's that look like? It's, it's, it's quick to repent is what it is. If you look at the life of Peter, the life of Peter, he made a lot of mistakes. He put his foot in his mouth many times. He did a lot of things. We just, uh, not too long ago in Sunday school, went through uh, Peter and went through all of those circumstances. Peter often messed up, but one thing Peter had was, was a hair-trigger repentance. He was quick to repent and staying humble. Man, it's spending time on our knees in prayer to God, asking God to search me. Try me. God, if there is sin in my life, bring it to my mind so I can confess it before you. Being quick to pray. I think of David after he sinned with Bathsheba, being quick to pray, God, create me a clean heart. Renew a right spirit within me. Because the deal is the goal can't be, obviously our goal is to be like Jesus. We're supposed to conform to the image of his son. But our goal can't be to never sin. Just like my goal cannot be to lose 300 pounds. I would disappear. <laughs> Problem is you'll fail. 
you'll fail. Or you fall into one of those two categories where you start making excuses for your sin or you think you're above it. So the goal, last one in, my, in this, this year, is to call out sin that's in my life. So in conclusion tonight, we set goals. And we often fail those goals because, one thing, we don't have the accountability that we need. Which is a benefit of being in God's word. There is accountability here. If you're going to measure your life and a, stick a ruler up next to you, it needs to be this. I don't like the other rulers that go around this way. <laughs> if we're going to measure our life against something, it needs to be here. But it's also another benefit, benefit of fellowship, isn't it? Accountability. There needs to be accountability in fellowship. And there is nothing wrong with going to somebody that you can see might be struggling and saying, how are you doing? What's going on in your life? Are you doing okay? But often we fail with personal goals because we have to do all the work, don't we? Look, look at verses 6 through 10 real fast. There's something they all have in common. It says, if we say that we have fellowship, but if we walk in verse 7, if we say in verse 8, if we confess in verse 9, if we say in verse 10, it's a lot of ifs. But that's what goals are, aren't they? If I do this, I can reach that goal. If I don't do this, I will not reach that goal. Losing weight. Just so you all know, I know how to do that. I do. I know exactly how to lose weight. As a matter of fact, if you ever want to lose weight, talk to a fat person. We know. We have done 10 times the research that you skinny people have done. I guarantee it. We know everything there is to know about losing weight. We've done, we know. The problem is, is we just need to go do it. We just need to go do it. And no one can do it for me. But that's not the way with these goals. It's different than personal goals. The Bible says in verse 9, if we confess our sin, if we do that, he's faithful and just. If we do this, he's willing. He's halfway. He's already there. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just. But God never intended any of us to do any of this alone. Not any of it. And there is success. When's the last time you used that word in your life as a Christian? Success. Victory. When's the last time you used that? Maybe 2023 is, you can't say it wasn't a successful Christian year. There, I, I didn't live a victorious Christian life this year. But there is success and there is victory. And it's if we are willing, because he is able. If we are willing, 
He is able. All right, let's bow our heads. Tonight, we're going to do something just a little different. We're not going to have the traditional altar call. When we're at a time like this, think of to start a new year for the Lord is on our knees. There is not a better place to start than on our knees before God. And if you're honest with yourself this morning and you're standing before God and your sin before God in this last year, then there is something to talk to him about tonight. Not only that, what about our church family in this next year? Spending time tonight just praying with your family, kneeling before God. Man, it's pretty scary to think about by a third generation that conviction and belief can morph into just mere opinion. So what our next generation needs to see is parents that are willing to call out the sin in their life and parents that are willing to talk to their kids about what their convictions are about. So tonight, in your seat, down at the altar, we're just going to spend a little bit of time starting off this new year the right way. In prayer, before God. As Brother Nate sings.